Revere. Arriving to Am I pronouncing it? Yeah. Revere. Yeah. This fascinating film in, in, in beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 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 Visually yeah. and in terms of yeah. in terms of the character study and his brother. Am I pronouncing it? Is it Sune? Sune. Yeah. Sune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susie. Yeah. Yeah. Susie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, from your perspective, how did you come to be a part of this? Wow. Well, actually, my uh, my producer Vipika had a dog, and this dog was a regular of Susie's, not as an extremist, but as a dog groomer. So she had this as a side job, and when she decided to quit that to go live in the countryside with her brother to run her own uh, taxidermy business, Vipika was intrigued, and she told me about it, and I was intrigued, and I brought my dog to the countryside to have him groomed by her to have sort of an excuse to, to be there and meet them uh, and I was I was fascinated with the story and, and this very tight-knit relationship between brother and sister who had always had to rely on each other but now had it had really sort of push had come to job because she was not doing very well and the brother had decided that now it was time that he step up and they sold both their apartments and moved to, to live together in the countryside. So, the, so yeah. the beginning of it was just fascinating already. I found, and then it took me when I went met them. They, it was difficult to sort of, sort of get a, a read on their background in them because they're so they're very good hosts, funny people, you know, uh, keep a nice house and cook well, and you know, you don't. Maybe it's my prejudice, but I, I had from the story that I've been told, I'd been expecting something else. So it took me a while just hanging out with them, bringing the camera as a sort of a, a pretense for being there without really knowing what I wanted to do yet. Before these little cracks began to show and and uh, the rifts between the two began to show in a way that I could see something in, in terms of a film. And while I was doing that work, I was reading a lot. I was doing a big research on the on sort of the cultural heritage of of taxidermy and the very sort of close relationship that has actually with early documentary film. Yeah. So they the uh, the film that is considered the first documentary film, Nanook of the North, which is problematic for all sorts of reasons. Let, let's leave them aside for now. But but. Um, the camera used for that film was invented by a taxidermist who was annoyed with the, tech, with the camera equipment uh, at the time because he went on these big expeditions to Africa to collect, collect is what it's called when you go off and kill, a, kill off a family of gorillas to bring back to... Uh, but he brought cameras that would always break down and he spent four, five, six years in the bush and wanted something that would really last. So he built his own camera for that and that camera was used for many of the very first documentary films for World War I uh, uh, reportage footage from the battlefield and other things Um, and he he created the tripod the fluid head tripod that everybody's including Hollywood is using to this day yeah because imagine you you were on the savannah and and the the equipment of that day would require one hand to turn the, well, one hand to wind the camera, one, one hand to uh, to uh, to pan, and one hand to tilt, and then one hand to pull focus and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just no, difficult to, to follow something that yeah, took place very fast. So he he's the one who came up came up with this concept of the fluid head tripod that enabled him to actually do that stuff. Wow, I had no idea that it was actually rooted in. It is, uh, and um, as, as far as I have learned, but. Uh, so, and, and also these two fields of taxidermy and documentary film 
to this day are both very occupied with these questions of representation, collecting, uh, you know, collecting reality, staging, preserving for posterity, naturalism and realism. These are all questions that both both of these fields are very deeply engaged with. Uh, and I found that whole sort of, let's call it theoretic or historical uh, layer, very fascinating. And I thought for a while that I would do a film like that because it was, it was difficult to, it was difficult at first to sort of gain access to the layers of the relationship that now has become the, the core of the film. Um, yeah, so that's how it, that's how it came about. Sorry for talking so long. No, that's fantastic. And actually, you know, that's really interesting because you can sort of feel that evolve within the film. When it, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes or so, I really expected it to be a film about taxidermy, but it's really not. It kind of veers off. It veers off, yeah. but, but never loses sight of that that aspect of, of Susan's character and the family relationship. Yeah. Um, it really is. It really is. Actually, I was wondering. Okay, and this is. I just don't want to lose the taxidermy here for a minute. I was just wondering, from your perspective, was there anything that yeah. you felt was misunderstood about yeah, taxidermy? Yeah. Because it, let's be serious, it's not something a lot of us know about. And with your experience, and there's some scenes here where I'm watching and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, just even on the practical level, yeah. it would be hard for me to be there, even though knowing what, what the best uh, pictures doing. Was there yeah. anything that you find misunderstood? Uh, well, well, first of all, I'm... I, I kind of, as a kid, I kind of liked taxidermy. I had an, a very old aunt who had a collection of specimens and things, and, I, and she gave me a squirrel and other things when I was very young. And I kind of always, I was always drawn to sort of the imagery of, of that sort of thing. Um, I'm not a hunter, and I'm not, I'm not very well acquainted with killing, you know, animals like you do when you live in the countryside and fend for yourself. And I think one of the things that struck me the most was how foul a fox smells up close. It's a horrible, horrible stench when you when you skin a when you skin a fox. Um, but I think uh, I think taxidermy. You know, you, someone told me it reminded me of Norman Bates, and and in my mind, it's something that belongs in sort of Victorian times. And and it, I'm surprised to learn how how much. I mean, it's not a big field. There's not a lot of taxidermists in Denmark, but still, there's enough that they can make a living. And it's very common among uh, hunters to, to still have yeah. their uh, trophies made and, and, and things like that, and ornithologists and collectors and other people. No, so no, something no, that no, really yeah. is within the... <laughs> I, I'm not asking. It's, a, uh, it's within the sort of scope of yeah. daily life and normalcy for a, a large group of people who, who are hunters and other, and other things. Um, and I think... I think uh, what struck me with with her is sort of the the delicacy and diligence and and her sort of uh, sense of um, of uh, responsibility for the animal. Strangely, once it's been killed, who cares? But it it, it has this there's this odd you know you kill an animal in order to create it in its own image as its own representation. To achieve a sort of lifelikeness that probably wasn't even there when it was alive, it's supposed to be, yeah. and, and just the sort of the, the delicacy and and the effort that goes into that. She, it's it's a real skill, and it's it's possibly even an art form. I mean, when do you 
I think I've seen some horrible specimens like we all have the eyes turned to either side and you know and odd grins and all. but she's very very good at recreating something that looks like a picture taken from from nature and I think that the level of craftsmanship is really that, that struck me you know, <laughs> like, um, but, um, and it's interesting but, uh, to compare it to usually, filmmaking too, because yeah, that absolutely usually we have the public weight and it's not quite taxidermy. Then we have a just now one of uh, one of my in-laws works in funeral, yeah, and they talk about trying to bring back a sense of life to the body. Okay, yeah, because I would recommend that's what we're trying to bring them back to life. Is, is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you, if you, were, if you were, yeah. Uh, if you feel um, as comfortable, yeah, you're comfortable. Let's talk about the living. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 please. Let's talk about the living. Yeah. Um, so, you're saying that process. So, you're inviting the Yeah. It really is. But I'm just wondering, do you think they need each other? Like, from your time with them? Or, from your experience, do you think maybe some more time What is that relationship like? Well, they have spent a lot a lot of time apart actually when they were younger um, Susie went before, after school she went to um, she was trying at a very young age to uh, get an apprenticeship as a taxidermist which was a long and horrible process for her uh, it took her years and years but so she went away and lived in, in another part of Denmark for, for some years and had a, a boyfriend there uh, while soon was they're, they're only a year apart but but he was uh, uh, like a, a teenager when that took place yes and she was as well but but uh, so they they had quite some time apart and and I think I'm not sure then then they moved into the same building together and lived on separate floors and have been doing a lot of the same things worked at the same companies and, and kept the same friends and all, all those things and I understand why you're asking because in a way it, it, it looks like they're repeating a pattern of family that you, are, you kind of understand was there already when they were growing up and I, and I understand the question as such but I I, of course, it's, I mean, it's, it's a double-sided uh, blade because has been I think they deeply do depend on each other. And I think if he hadn't offered to sell his apartment and help her sell her apartment and move to the countryside with her, she would have lived in misery for much longer and possibly given up uh, her dream of becoming a tax taxidermist uh, as, a, as a business owner, possibly. Uh, while at the same time, I think... There is this repetition of, of, of a sense of codependency co and and things that are probably not healthy for both of them, maybe. And maybe it would be easier to sort of alleviate that sort of heritage from their childhood and their parents if they didn't live in in a in, a, in such a close uh, relationship, maybe. But I think. Uh, not to spoil too much, but but dur during the course of the film, uh, Susie develops a depression, and uh, and going into um, to both therapy and, and the medical treatment for that has really made a very big change for her. And Suna told me she was kind of away, and I couldn't film with them for a while because she was really out of it and and very she was sleeping all day, which is completely unusual for her. She is very high high energy and, and, and ADHD uh, sort of uh, drives her her attention a lot. But but um, he said that for the first time in years and years they were able to have conversations about things that they couldn't have before because suddenly. 
she wasn't sort of bursting with energy and trying and frustration and trying to get out of the situation, which was what what you see play out in some of the scenes. They could sit down and have a conversation about things that have been hard. And I think for both of both of them, uh, maybe something as hard as you know, never nice to, to have a depression or have to go into therapy and medication. But I think that has actually made quite a difference for her and her life, but for the relationship as well. Yeah, the, the thing I love about the two of them is that they're both good people. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, fire and water are both necessary, but when you put them together, sometimes it's so difficult. Yeah. But there's a beautiful line that Susan says in one of their one of their conflicts, and I, I wanted to get your feedback on At one point, they're discussing it, and she says, you need to forgive to be free. Yeah. The way we... I was just wondering what your experience is, or what your experience is about, what you think of that, and how it applies to the two of them, in your, in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, that resonates within me as well. And I think she's perfectly, it's perfectly true what she's saying, and I think it's actually quite profound. What she, this is clearly something that she's been working on herself in the relationship with her mother, and probably other relationships as well. And it's difficult for all of us, I mean. Um, and in the 13, and I think I think she's she's right that that is necessary. I think sooner. I mean, it's been eight years. He hasn't seen his mother. He, he claims it's temporary, but it's not like there is a plan for get, for when to re, you know, resume that relationship. And I think, as annoying as it is that his sister is trying to force it upon him, I think probably she's right that that something needs to be done, right? And if the mother who is aging was suddenly to die and he had didn't reconcile with her in time I think that would be equally horrible for him I mean, maybe even worse um, so I think there is something to be said for this idea that even the things that you can't manage to actually speak about in ways that are sufficient or you know uh, redeeming or whatever you need for yourself even with these two who are used to not being able to speak about things, maybe moving on is, is what is necessary. At the same time, I think, and this is not to make myself into a therapist or anything, but I think having had me there, interested in engaging in conversation with them and, and also instigating conversations that they would probably have shied away from if I hadn't been there, I think that has in itself been transformative for them. And I think they, they've, been, they've been pushed towards having if not resolving conflicts, then at least speaking about them in a way that makes them, the elephant in the room, slightly smaller. And they can, they now, having had those conversations with me there, they can now refer back, back to things that they, that would probably have been too, too uh, touchy or tender or something to, to talk about otherwise. I hope, I mean, yeah. I mean, we played, and it's funny because as a viewer, we have played, we don't always understand the relationship between documentary filmmaker and subject. We played it in .com because you're not just shooting them; you're in there. Letting those empty pockets, and that, and that does create they, a safe space for them. We played it in .com, which I think is incredible. And actually, I could see the echoes of that. You could see there's a scene in the workshop where she's fictional. Where Susie's kind of dialoguing with you. It's about the last night in a bar. Yeah, yeah. This is really powerful. This is good. Yeah, I, I included that because there, it's uh, it, it's me trying to have them, trying to make them have a conversation about their mother and how they will deal with her coming to the European Taxidermy Championships in Budapest, where they're both going. You wouldn't know that. 
so all of they knew both of them so and I knew and they knew that I knew that she was coming there and that it would be a thing but they hadn't talked about it and I felt like in order for this to play out not only in the film but also just in life in being there and, have, and I would be there with them this is something that needs to be on the table somehow but I wanted to I wanted to acknowledge that that was my responsibility to push that on them so I included that in the film and I included Susie sort of berating me for having instigated a conflict afterwards because I feel it's fair that like you said it's I mean there is a sense of, of uh, of confidentiality okay, yeah. between yeah, yeah, yeah. me and them and yeah, 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 by way of that yeah, yeah. the audience and them that's interesting. that is something yeah, that's not just there it's achieved and it requires respect and, and loyalty and other things uh, and I think um, acknowledging that and, 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 and sort of including that in the film is respectful towards both them and the audience uh, and I don't I don't I want I don't want to you know leave everything hanging on their shoulders it should be my responsibility as well yeah yeah I love that yeah I know no, I, I, and I appreciate that you respect it because it's always no, just as we start to have Peter no it's like also audiences take away from I think I mean I think they uh, I think Sushi and Suna are very impressive people in a sense they come from this quite hard upbringing and they've taken charge of their own lives and, and, and their fates in a way and, and remodeled rebuilt their lives in an image that they think is closer to ideal for them that brings about a lot of confusion and annoyance and frustration and other things but they, they've made this choice and committed to it and I think I mean, I admire that from from my own perspective. And if this watching this film will make anyone sort of revisit their own ideas about how life would be better for them, more ideal, I think that alone is an achievement that I would be proud of, and Susie and Suna would be proud of. Yeah. But I also think there's something to be said for you know addressing these hard topics and issues and, and knots that exist in all very close-knit relationships. They are afraid with expectations and guilt and blame in many cases. I know some people probably live in bliss and, you know, congratulations on that. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, but in my own experience, a lot of relationships are very difficult and they become more difficult over time if you don't address. And I think I think that is probably the redeeming quality of this film. Uh, cathartic even, at least for me and for them, and hopefully for some members of an audience, um, to realize that, you know, things left in the past, like, good things can come from encountering sort of interesting things head on. Yes, and trying to move forwards through them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in a way that's what Susie is trying to say. Get you know, get get at it, but be prepared to forgive it if, if the outcome is not exactly how you expected it to be. I think that's a I think if there is a morale to the story, I think that must be it. I really appreciate that. Peter, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.